You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. As we continue in the book of 1 John, we're coming to a a parenthesis within John's thought where he kind of just stops a little bit and uh, he kind of changes gears where, you know, he's telling us that if we are to be a Christian, we need to obey. If we are to be a, a Christian, we need to love, right? And then next week, he's going he's to kind of show us that um, if you are to be a Christian, you are going to not, a negative, a not love the world over the things of God. And as, we, as we're looking at these verses in uh, 1 John chapter 2, 12 through 14, what, what creeps up, and as I was asking myself, okay, so here we go again. We're, we're going to talk about the same things that, that John's already addressed. We've already talked about them in the last you know, six or seven weeks. Um, we continue to talk about them and bring them up because the Bible does. And, and it's this, this whole idea of who you are in Christ, your identity. It is massively important. Every single one of us gets up every single day and kind of lives out the identity that we believe. And and as as Keller shared with us, our identity is a sense of self and a sense of worth. So in other words, we're identifying who we are. Who is Joe Sawakis? Well, it's this sense of who I think I am, right? The sense of who this true self is and also a sense of worth. This is comparative. This is when we look out across the scope and we we form our identity by saying, well, I'm better than that person, or I'm not quite as good as that person, or I I do this better than that person, and then we form our identity with that. And and notice that how he brought these things together within the Bible, where he talked about if you're born in the East, right, you were born into a family, and that family gave you identity, Right, So why do we have Smiths and Bakers in this country? Because they were born into families that were blacksmiths and that were bakers. So your identity was formed by the family you were born into. Okay, And then he, he says the other part of it is in the West, we said, no, 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 it, it's, it's not about the family you're born into. You get to decide whether or not who you are and what you are. It's more individualistic. So we turn it all in ourself. This is important. This is important whenever we look at the Bible. This is important to understand what we are putting off when we put off sin and we put on Christ's righteousness because many times what we're putting on in that act of repentance, what we are putting on is our new identity in Christ. It's what he says we are. It's who he says we are. It's what he says about us. It's about the worth that he gives us, right? In a different article talking about the same subject, Keller quotes Charles Cooley. He says this, We develop our concept of self by watching how other people react to different versions of ourselves that we present. This is kind of the, the, the feedback loop that is happening 24-7 with us. Well, maybe not when we're sleeping. But this idea that, that, that what we're doing is, is we live something out, we act a certain way, we behave a certain way, and then we look to how people um, react to that, and then that kind of forms our identity. The more that they give us approval when we like that, well, then I'm going to be that person. 
This is why sometimes we, we stumble on people, and, and many times we are those people that we act a certain way with some people and a certain way with another people. That's because we're trying, we see this feedback loop that this gentleman Cooley has observed that is happening. Keller goes on to say that Cooley's looking glass self concept has real affinities to the biblical teaching that we are made in God's image. In other words, okay, what he is observing happening, right? What he observes that happens in a normal human being is, okay, it's just a, a paradox or it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a view of what should be happening with us because we're made in God's image. It's the truth. And the truth we can see from the Word of God that we are made in His image. So we should be looking at, at God and, and to see and, and figure out our self and our worth. So there's, we are not to define our identity. We are to reflect the identity of the one who made us. So we need the validation from someone outside. We cannot validate ourselves. This is, the, this is what one gentleman observed, and this is what the Bible is telling us, right? That we are to, to look to God. We are to imitate Jesus. We are to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, and that's who we are. That's who we become. And everything that's opposite of that is it falls into disobedience. It, it falls into sin. And this is very important because this is, this is how we repent. We, we put off the, the things that are wrong and are not of Christ, and we put on Christ. And so many times we have such a hard time as Christians of what am I supposed to put on? Like, okay, I get it. I just lied. I, I see that. I know that. I understand that. I know what I'm putting off. But okay, so why am I lying? Well, many times I lie, Joe lies, so that you may think better of me. So what am I not doing? I'm not believing my identity in Christ. I'm not believing who he says I am. So that's what I put on. I put on what he says I am and who he says I am. This is the Christian life. Keller gives... Um, uh, later on in this article, he gives three-step process how identity was formed in the past. And, and we see this again. This is just observations. In the past, people got their identity from how well they served God, family, neighborhood, and nation. Right? Identity was forged by discovering what our family and neighbors expected of us. Okay? So you grow up in a certain family within a certain neighborhood, and there's certain expectations. We, we've seen so many of those expectations change. And then COVID comes along, and so many of those expectations changed by, you know, like a 10-year jump, in, so to speak, from, from the rest of the world here in our country. And, and we're running around like, okay, so what exactly is expected of me? And we're looking around for that to gain our identity. The second thing he says is getting positive and negative feedback about our behavior. Again, this is that feedback loop that consistently and always happens. Happens within friends, family, and different things. Again, back in the day, it was it all happened face to face. It all happened when you're beside somebody or near somebody. And, and then the third thing he says is rearranging our lives in accordance with those expectations, so we could get regular validation and affirmation from our face to face community. So, in other words, we're given a set of expectations. We try to live out those expectations. And determining how people actually react to those, the way we're doing it, is how we form our identity, who we are, who we think we are, right? Some of us think that we're really good people because no one's ever corrected us and, and all we've ever been told is how awesome we are. And some of us, unfortunately, have been told nothing but how miserable and worthless we are. You've experienced this. 
I'm not pulling something out of, out, of, out of thin air. You have experienced this, every one of us. Then what has happened in our culture today is we have become more secularized. God is removed. Families have been torn apart. Neighborhoods are very hard to be defined anymore. Everyone's looking for community. Because we don't know what our identity is. Because in the West, it's individualistic. So we, we look into ourselves. That's what everyone is, teaches us and, and tells us. We don't have very many face-to-face interactions, do we? They're limited. I mean, COVID, it, it, you know, it made that tenfold or a thousandfold, right? It completely eliminated that. And then Keller goes on and talks about our culture and, and how this is forming us and molding us. This is important. I mean, it, it, if you fundamentally don't get who you are in Christ right, you're going to be on base, off base with everything about God. We have to get this right. Keller goes on to say, but in our mobile, individualistic, therapeutic, technologically driven culture, we have been more and more disembedded from face-to-face communities. In our increasing secular society, God and faith no longer serves as a means of identity. Our relationship with thinned out and our identities are more fragile. And even though modern therapeutic culture tells us to look inward to create our own identity and validate ourselves, many leading thinkers, preeminently Charles Taylor, have shown that this is impossible, that we are irreducibly relational beings. In other words, that, that the world's telling you, look in. Okay, this is, this is how we, we've come to the point where someone can look in the mirror or look inside of themselves and say, okay, I was born... A, a, a lady, but I want to be a guy, or I was born a guy and I want to be a lady. This is exactly how this happens. It's because we're, we're looking inside and we have feelings, and yes, we're going to have feelings. This is, this is also, you know, why someone will say, okay, I, I'm a guy, but I, I'm attracted to other men, so that means I must be, my identity must be, must be of a, a, a gay man. Well, no, it's not. You have these feelings, it's whether or not you act upon them, right? It's not your identity, it's not about looking inside of you. There are many Christians, there are many born-again Christians that still struggle with same-sex attraction. They are not in sin because they don't act upon that. Feelings, they're not acting upon that. To who you think you are, your identity strives and, 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 and controls so much of your life. It really does. So where does the feedback loop happen today, even though communities have been broken and families have been broken? And as, as Tim showed us, we're not born into families. Well, obviously, where does it happen? You guys can probably answer that. It happens on social media. We post something on social media and we're, we are waiting for the feedback loop to come in. Was, was what I just posted a picture or a saying or a statement? Was what I was just posted, I'm waiting for that feedback. Was it approved, disapproved? And then however that comes back is how I will form my identity. Just a little tick at a time. A little tick at a time. And now, because we have these devices in our pockets and, and we do so many things with them, 
such a blessing in many ways, and in some ways we need to actually really look at, see how they're, they're forming us and, and shaping us. Um, it's multiplied exponentially because it's always happened. It's consistently happening. It's pretty amazing. But this should not be the case for the Christian. Our feedback loop comes from the Word of God. And it comes from the community that God has given us, our church. See, this is what John is concerned with in our verses today. He wants to provide his readers and you true feedback. He wants to give you true feedback. So that you can form your identity quickly. John is going to give us three truths about the Christian that will bring us confidence. It'll bring you confidence in who you are in Christ. It'll bring you confidence of who you are, period. Who your identity is, what your identity is. As we look at these verses 12 through 14, we can see that we can have confidence in our identity in Christ because we are forgiven, we know the Father, and we are victorious. This is who you are. This is, this is John's kind of stopping this pair as he's talking to these and trying to correct this and, and try to show you how to have insurance and what a true Christian is. And all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, man. Maybe I need to encourage them a little bit. Maybe they're discouraged. They've been trying to obey and they keep stumbling. But maybe I need to encourage them. Encourage them by just showing them who they are. That you are forgiven that you know the Father and that you are victorious. You are victorious. Our passage goes like this in verses 12 to 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for this namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Father, again, I just ask for your help as we open up your word now. Lord, I hope that we at least piqued our interest a little bit about how do we actually form our identity? How, how is this happening? How is it that I believe what I believe about myself? And is it lining up with Scripture or not? That's the question we need to ask. Lord, I ask that you would help, even as I talk about this today, that you help me do so. And Lord, I pray that you help each one here do so. That we may remove the false things that either the world around us or, or Satan has taught us that we hold on to, that we can turn away from and trust in what you say we are and who you say we are. Lord, I just ask that you would help us do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we see John as the pastor, right? He's, he's going through some of these doctrines. In, in chapter 2, he begins with a couple different doctrines, and then he goes into about obeying and about loving, and then, again, this, this pause that he has here. Um. And I don't want us to get caught up in trying to figure out who are these different people. What I found out in the study, and I'll save you hours and hours of reading that, that it took me, is, is you know, a lot of people have, have taken these things as either literal children, young men, fathers, or 
metaphorically, right, different stages of Christian growth. And, and I, I've seen them go in many different ways, and it really affects the way that they interpret this. But I'm just hanging on this. The, he begins the whole thing, I'm writing to you little children. So for me, and if you look at the other times that he uses this in 1 John, who is he talking to? He's talking to all Christians, so that, that's where I'm coming from. He, he's talking to all Christians. We're not going to divide out and break that up because I think that we can either get confused or, or it might, we might skew what John is trying to show us here in the simplicity of this is who you are. You are forgiven. You know the Father and you are victorious. This is what he's trying to, to show us today. Again, he's been reminding us of many different doctrines and many different ways that we should live. So today I, I'm wondering if maybe there's one or two here that, um, that are, came in discouraged. I know that as Nate started the service, it, you know, it's, it's like, okay, they're distracted. People are distracted and, and I get that. You feel it. You know it. Maybe you came like, I mean, I've been, I actually was, was trying to focus in on this love thing. And I was trying to love people. And, and every time I tried to love someone last week, they just, you know, shut the door in my face, so to speak. And I just came in discouraged. Well, today he just wants to comfort you. He wants to encourage you. That's what John wants to do. He wants to show you your identity. He wants to show you who you are in Christ so that way you can rest in that. He begins with forgiveness. He says, we have, for, we have confidence in our identity in Christ because we are forgiven. That's found in, in 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven. That is massively, massively important to understand and live in and to live it out, to walk it out. Notice that he says that our sins are forgiven. It's already done. They've already been forgiven. The sins, all the sins that you've ever committed, the ones you will commit today and the ones that you will commit in the future are forgiven. It's who you are. You are a forgiven saint. You've been taken out of the realm of darkness and brought into the realm of light. You were an enemy and now you are adopted we are not seeking forgiveness. We are not hoping for forgiveness. We are not uncertain about forgiveness. And we certainly do not try to earn forgiveness. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. Christians are people who know that they are forgiven. So many people, when you ask them if they know that their sins are forgiven, say, I'm, I'm hoping that they are I am seeking forgiveness. I am praying for it. I don't feel like they are. No, 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 no. That is not the Christian position. That is typically a non-Christian statement. The Christian is one whose sins are already forgiven. Why are we so certain? Because it's based upon the way in which our sins are forgiven. How are they forgiven? In his name's sake. The basis of our certainty and assurance is grounded in the perfect, finished, full work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. 
John has hit upon this already. We have an advocate. That is our propitiation. That's the basis of the forgiveness of sins. Nothing that we have done. It's what Christ has done. It's who he is. The confidence I have that my sins are forgiven rests in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is standing there as my representative with God. It is for his sake, for his name's sake, that I am forgiven. Martin Lloyd-Jones would go as far as to say, if you are uncertain about the forgiveness of your sins, that in itself is sin. Because it's unbelief. The the Bible tells us your sins are forgiven. John just told us that. It's, It's said in many other places. It reveals lack of faith. That is unbelief. It is not... No, it is no mark of humility or saintliness to be uncertain that your sins are forgiven. It is to deny and doubt the Word of God. It is to deny and doubt the Word of God. The root of it is that you are still relying upon yourself. You are, you are not relying on the finished, complete work of Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. We've wrestled that back. This becomes part of our identity. Well, I'm working my way. I, I think I'm forgiven. Well, maybe, wait a minute, if, if I do better, then he'll forgive me. Right? No, none of this. You are forgiven. You cannot undo what you have done. You cannot go back and erase your past. It is impossible. It has been done in Christ. And I say it once more with John that there's no point appealing to people to go forward until they are clear about their past. It's forgiven. It's under the blood. It's been dipped in that pool that we sang about. It's done and over with. Are you clear about that? Do you know that the Lord Christ has borne your sins and has died your death and risen again to justify you? And are you relying utterly and absolutely upon him and upon him alone? So what does this look like? What what does this feedback loop look like that's going to form our identity? Well, it was pretty amazing um, that I I just finished this section and um, ran over to the house to get uh, a some more to drink, and Charity's like, hey, can we're, we're playing on the steps with Moxie, and Charity's like, can I go take a shower? I was like, yeah, I'll hang out with Moxie, and um, we were playing with the big long noodles that you play in the pool with, and this, that, and the other, and I just said, um, because we were playing in the hallway, and, and, and in Anthony's room, there's, there's a lot of little things that can be, you know, punted off of the, the shelves, and this, that, and the other, and I, and I just simply asked, hey, uh, Mox, don't go in Anthony's room, you might hit something. I didn't even get the words out of my mouth, right? And guess what happened, right? She knocked off a, a little thing, um, and Anthony picked it right up and put it back together, and it was no big deal. And Charity was like, okay, you, you know, Moxie, you need... Now, she's four. She's learning this. We're a little bit further along than her, right? We're just a little bit further along than her. Um, and... Uh, and she's like, and Charity's like, okay, you disobeyed Poppy, so um, 
you need to say you're sorry, and then you need to tell Anthony that you're sorry, and she wouldn't do it. The guilt and the shame crushed her. She wouldn't do it. She wouldn't even look at me because she didn't know that she was already forgiven. My love didn't change for her. In fact, I told her I loved her. She later on apologized to Anthony and, and a lesson was learned. But do you understand that that's us before God the Father? If you do not believe that you are forgiven, every time that you sin, you will not go to your advocate. You will not go to the cross. You will hide yourself like poor Moxie was, riddled with guilt and shame. And that is not your identity. You are forgiven. He loves you with agape love, a love that he's willing each and every day to love you with, no matter what you have done. That's the feedback loop we need. That's the feedback loop that, that will break the pattern of sin. If you have sin that you keep stumbling upon and stumbling upon, most likely you have never put Christ's righteousness on top of that sin and lived that way. It's amazing what God has done for us. It's amazing to see, you know, see myself as, as poor little Moxie's is like, it's just the guilt and shame. She won't even look at me. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there just, just getting done all this. And I'm sitting there like, that's me, Lord. That's me. Every time that I sin and I won't go to you, that is me. And I'm not living out my identity in Christ. I'm not living out who I am. I am forgiven. You're waiting for me to come to you. And you love me. You love me. That's the feedback loop we need to form identity. That's how this works. That's how knowing that you are a forgiven person works. You can come out of hiding. It's pretty amazing. So we have confidence in our identity in Christ because we are forgiven and because we know the Father is the second thing that John says here. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And we know that from the beginning he's already established that's Christ, right? That's God, from the beginning. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. He says this in two different places within these verses. This is the God who loves us out of agape love that we discussed last week. Again, he's loving us, willingly loving us. It's not an emotion that's fickle, that if we sin at all, wait a minute, now he's mad at me that he no longer loves me. I got to do something to earn my way. No, it's agape love that he's always loving. He's holding you as precious. If that doesn't form your identity, I don't know what can. That no matter what anybody says about you, you can always go right back to the center. And right back to the center is God saying, I love you. I sent my son for you. That breaks all of these bad identities we hold on to. If you know him, you will not feel that his commandments are a sacrifice. You know that they are all destined for your good. 
you know, um, you will know he has brought them in because he wants to bless you and because he wants you to be conformed to the image of his own dear son. The one who is God is now our father. He's our father. And he is a good father, a great father, a, a perfect father. No longer is he our enemy, but through forgiveness of sins and his gracious adoption, we have come to know him as father, as father. Spurgeon says it so well. All the philosophers in the world do not know so much of the Father God as a forgiven sinner knows. He's making the connection. This identity of being forgiven, a forgiven sinner. Those that know that they are forgiven know the Father. They know who he is. They're intimate with him because of what he has done. I go a little further. If there are any who have never fallen into sin, but are like the 99 just just persons who need no repentance, or like the elder brother who had never at any time transgressed his father's commandment, I say that these do not know and cannot know the father as the forgiven child does. They can't know him. So all, all the scholars and, and all those that, that know so much about the Bible and know about, about God, but they don't believe in repentance, they don't believe that they're sinners, they don't know the Father. They have no clue who He is. Only those that have experienced forgiveness can know the Father. Only those that have experienced forgiveness the father's heart comes out most fully and expressly when he says, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, he's, he's referring to the, the story of the prodigal son. And, and I want to refer to it as, as we look at the prodigal also. So just let's refresh our memories, right? There was two sons and a father, right? And the one younger son was like, give me your inheritance. I want to, I want to go and live my life with, with whatever inheritance that I'm supposed to have, which in, in essence is saying, I wish you were dead because that's what happens whenever, that's how you get an inheritance, right? So he takes the inheritance and he runs off and he spends it on this, that, and the other. And he ends up in, in the pig trough feeding the pigs and comes to this realization that, hey, wait a minute, my servants back, my, my father's servants back at, the, at the, the estate, right? They live better than what I'm living now. I'll go and, and, and denounce my, my sonship and I'll go live as, as a servant. And then you had this other son, which is, Many, many, where we fall into is the elder son who always listened to his father, did everything the father said, was really upset whenever the, the prodigal came home that they took. Remember, if you, you have one, one father, two sons, you split the inheritance in half, anything that the, the guy's spending is actually the older son's inheritance. This is why he gets upset. He gets upset because, look, you're spending my inheritance on this other son that went and squandered it. But the father, being a loving father, agape love, right? He ran to the prodigal and put a robe on it. He had a feast. And later on, even in the story, he actually goes after the older son, the one that was mad that they were doing all this for the younger son. And, and Keller always says that to be truly a Christian, we not only repent of our sins, 
but we repent of our righteousness also. We repent of all those things like the elder son was saying, I followed all your rules. We need to repent of that also. So that's what he's saying here. Then as he looks up through his tears, the father, as Spurgeon goes on and sees the inevitable smile of the father's affection, the forgiven child knows the father. The very least child of grace having received the forgiveness of sin, knows the Father in a most important sense. This idea that we know the Father as we go to him in repentance, as we know that we are forgiven. That's, that's exactly this prodigal that was coming home, that, that sinned against God first and, and the Father, right? Knowing the Father plugs into the feedback loop for our identity, just like it did for the prodigal son, right? Let me, let me just read part of this and, and try to connect it of how we might look at it. But when he came to himself, he said, this is the prodigal son, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way away, his father saw him and left and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. See, because he knew the character of his father, he could go back home. He knew who his father was. He could go back home. He knew that that his father was a good and just man, that he treated his servants well, that even though I'm a son and I've given up that right, I can run back home and at least... Be a good servant. We are his children. We can always go to him. He is going to give us the good gifts that we don't deserve. This helps us to to form our identity, who we are, right? We have confidence in our identity in Christ because we are forgiven. We know the Father, and finally, we are victorious. He says this, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I want to call your attention again to the way John puts it. You saint, you who are in Christ, you whose sins are forgiven, you know the Father, you have overcome the evil one, you are victorious. Not because you are going to, but because you have. It's a done deal. It's already done and over with. This is true of you now, today. The moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are conscious of a victory over the wicked one. We may be conscious of great weakness, yes. But the moment we believe on Christ, we have an immediate consciousness that we are somehow or to the other no longer under dominion of sin. We have crossed over from darkness to light. Though we have not finished with sin, we are no longer under the dominion of sin and Satan. 
We may be conscious of great weakness, and yet we know that he is defeated enemy, and that we are fools if we listen to him. We are victorious. The darkness that, that even Sam spoke about and others spoke about, about what is happening in, in the Ukraine, that those people that are in Christ, that sins are forgiven and they know the Father, that darkness cannot touch them. That evil cannot touch them. They can sing with confidence the song we sing that, it, that if, if suffering and something happens to me, it just shortens my time that I get to go be with Jesus. Did I get to go to, to glory? And I think so much we're so comfortable and, and we have so much and we have all our needs here in, in, in the United States that we don't even think about the glory that, that is coming to us. We kind of like preserve and love our life now. Well, I don't. It's beginning to aggravate me. I really want to go be with Jesus. I want to take as many people I can with me. But look around, guys. Why are we spend so much time preserving this when, when, whenever we have been given so much to look forward to? And the amazing thing about the way God works is as we work towards that, as we do what God has called us to do, to go make disciples, as we are living our lives to try to take as many people with us as we can, this world falls away, which is what John's going to talk about next week, and our joy increases, and our lives are so much better for it. This is the Christian walk. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And Satan kind of has two ways, right? That he tries to stumble us. He either accuses us, we learned that about the advocacy, or he tempts us like he did with Jesus. So you have Job and Jesus. Job's in the Bible to show us that, that Satan's coming to, to accuse us. And Jesus went to the desert and was what? Tempted by who? Satan. By the way, who led him there? The Holy Spirit. But he was protected, just like we are, as our identity, as who we are, right? Spurgeon says, Satan is an old hand at studying human nature. He has been near 6,000 years watching and tempting men and women, and therefore he is full of cunning. Peter even says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So how does that fit into the feedback loop about our identity? When Satan accuses us of sin, what do I do? I trust the work of Christ. My debt has been paid, and while Satan can hurt, hurl accusations all day long, he has nothing with which he can condemn me. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Satan tempts me to sin, I turn to the word of God. I turn to the work of Christ and my identity in Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous, died in our place. The wrath of God is propitiated. Its removal is sealed. Christ is raised from the dead and intercedes as our advocate in heaven on the basis of that propitiation. The word of God, the gospel, comes to us, and by grace we receive it, and it abides in us. In this way, we abide in Christ so that he becomes our personal propitiation and advocate. 
He's advocating for each one of us right now. Every single one of us at this moment, he is advocating for us and will so for eternity. Satan accuses us of damning sin and tries to destroy us with guilt. We overcome the evil one because the word of God abides in us and we are strong. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this is your identity? This is who you are in Christ? If you're resting and believing in this identity, so many of the things that come at you from now until next Sunday, you can speak against them in such a way that will not define your identity. It will not define who you are. We need this. We need this as, as the church. Because saying our sins are forgiven. We have been adopted by the Father. And we are victorious. We are victorious. Let me just close with, with the victory. In Revelation 12, now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And a great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. What is your word of testimony today? Who would you say you are? Are you forgiven? Do you know the Father? And are you victorious? Can you testify to that today? I pray that you can. Let's pray. Father, what a, a wonderful short excursus that, that John uses here to encourage us, to remind us, to show us that who we are in Christ. And Lord, help us to, to see this, to know this, to believe in this, to trust in this. In times that whenever we stumble and fall and we disobey and we don't love, Lord, that, that we can repent of those things and then put on this. Put on the fact that I'm forgiven. Put on the fact that I, I know you, Father, and you love me. And put on the fact that no matter how many times I stumble, we win in the end. Help us to do that, Lord. Father, if there's, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, Lord, that as, as they've heard what, what you have done through Jesus today, that you might have sent the Spirit and brought them into, and caused them to be born again, that they may now choose to follow because they have faith to do so. Lord, I pray for that person today you would change their heart. And Lord, for those of us that know that we're, we're born again and, and know this, Lord, I pray that you will help us to continue to shape and mold our identity on who you say we are, not what we say we are or those around us say we are. Please help us, Lord. 
Lord, thank you for your word that's encouraging, it's uplifting, it's, it's comforting. All that you have done so that we may be your children. You are a good, good father. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.